Blog Talk Radio. Hey guys, it's Nate from Wide Men Can't Jump. I want to thank you for listening in to this episode of Wide Men Can't Jump. Before we get into the episode, I just want to say that if you've been trying to find the show on iTunes as of late, we've been having some technical issues on that end. But those issues have officially been resolved. There is no more problem. We are back on iTunes. Please head over, rate us five stars, leave us a comment saying you like the show. After uh, our previous iTunes holdup, we were having a difficult time getting back on there, but the problems are now 100% resolved, and we hope you guys, if you're listening, go back, resubscribe to the show, download it, and leave us a five-star review. We really do appreciate it, and we want to thank our sponsors, the law offices of Stephen P. New, StripCampFun.com, Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC, and Stay Classy Meats. Uh, so thank everybody for listening, and thanks to our wonderful sponsors. Now, let's get to the show. You're listening to Wide Men Can't Jump on the Wide Men Radio Network located at blogtalkradio.com slash Jump. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, stripcamfun.com, Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC located at facebook.com backslash Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC, as well as at Stay Classy Meets at stayclassymeets.com, where you can use promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% on your order and receive a free pound of Montana grass-fed ground beef. This show talks about NBA and covers all topics from all 30 teams in the league and includes guests from experts from all over the world. Make sure you're downloading us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and more. Be sure to join in on the fun over at WideMenCan'tJump.com as well as on our Facebook group, Wide Men Can't Jump, and follow us on Twitter, at Wide Jump. Now, let's go to the flagship program of this Wide Men Radio Network. Here's Wide Men Can't Jump. Take a walk on the wild side and the colored girl's face. Duke, 
That's right. If we can make it there, we can make it anywhere. It's Wide Men Can't Jump, and this is New York State of Mind, where you're going to be talking a lot about the city of New York, the teams, and good or bad, what's been going on in the offseason. And joining me today, of course, from as far away from New York as humanly possible almost, from the Great White North, he is the one and only Tim Dombrova. Good evening, Nate. Good evening. I thought there was going to be more than that. Would you believe that even this far away from New York, I can still smell that cesspool? <laughs> well, I thought, you know, I took a little time, made a nice little uh, musical montage intro there, uh, and you just took a dump on it right there. Most arrogant <laughs> people on the face of the earth are from New York City. No offense. Just a fact. You know, I've I've been to New York. I've been to New York. It's not a bad place. Um, At least the part I was in. Of course, I didn't go. I didn't venture too far away from Manhattan. I stayed in Manhattan a lot, but uh, it's not nice. It gets a little chilly up there in New York. I'll tell you that. You might need to uh, make sure you have your... My uh, coat of many colors. So make sure you have that. When you're there. Yoko uh, Ono bought for me. I'm oh, sorry, anyway. <laughs> but anywho. We're going to be talking a lot about Brooklyn. We're going to talk a lot about the Knicks this evening. So I put that together. Of course, that was Jay-Z and Alicia Keys with uh, Empire State of Mind leading into No Sleep Till Brooklyn by the Beastie Boys. Then we just kept it going with the party going with Lou Reed, Walk on the Wild Side. New York State of Mind by the great Billy Joel and Not, New York by Frank Sinatra. He stole that song, as we're going to find out later. Well, he probably did, but oh well, it's still good. That but, was some bang-up work, <laughs> though, by Rusty, uh, Rusty Shackleford did a superb job on that. Yeah, I might, I yeah Rust, Rusty and the boys, Rusty Shackleford and the boys in the producer room. Bang-up job, dudes. Go have a donut on me. Uh, yeah, they've had their work cut out for him this week. <laughs> I opened the vending machine for him this evening, so hopefully there's still some chips left when I get done. But anyway, it's wide it. machine. I emptied it before the show started, so no, no worries. Yeah, it sounds like something you do, you prick. But speaking 
if, if someone's been a prick to you, let me tell you what you do. You get on the phone and you get a hold of the, the non-prick who is our lawman, Stephen P. New. Let's take a look at what Stephen P. New can do for you. Personal injury, product liability, workplace accident, mesothelioma law, social security disability, unfair insurance practices, family law, employment discrimination, and more. All this can be handled at New Law Office with Stephen P. New. It's New Law Office with Stephen P. New. You can get your free consultation today by calling 1-800-208-9169 or 304-362-7345 for your free consultation. A new level of personal service, whether you've been injured or facing divorce or experiencing workplace discrimination, you can rely on compassionate, thorough representation from New Law Office. Be sure to contact Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com or again, get your free consultation at 1-800-203-9169. Stephen P. New, answers to your legal questions. Again, big thanks to our sponsor, the Law Offices of Stephen P. New. Check them out, newlawoffice.com. Well, Tim, wait, wait, wait a minute. Rusty with a donut in his mouth, uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, ladies and gentlemen... We have well, we have an update, and uh, I don't know what's going on, but apparently there's a, a news update. Let's kick it over to our man. This is a Wide Men Can't Jump special news report. We're here live with a continuing saga of the Baby Fultz Tom Robinson lawsuit, which continues to mystify and baffle onlookers. This morning, both sides gave their opening arguments, and things got out of hand with several incidents of name-calling and accusations and a stunning end of the day. Judge Lance Ito then cleared the courtroom of all press and we've been forced to rely on a transcript provided to us by the court. So we've asked legal analyst, oh wait, sorry, that's analyst, Mr. Ciccolini, for a quick recap, oh, and he provided us oh, with no. the following, which I will now read to you. The prosecution was up first, and lawyer Allie McBeal went right for the jugular, when she said, and I quote, the prosecution will prove that Tom Robinson is a lazy, no-good, non-petting, non-food-supplying liar who has accused my client of being a cock-blocker and on several occasions called the defendant a pussy for not catching rats when, in fact, the real pussy is Tom Robinson who refused to act like a man and deal with the rats himself. She then <laughs> added that she wasn't surprised as he is very forgetful and has lost his phone on multiple occasions and was unable to be contacted by Fultz or Miss McBeal herself. She continued by saying Robinson had caused undue hardship and emotional suffering to baby Fultz, and she pointed out his garish coat. At this point, Robinson's lawyer raised an objection, but Judge Edo was quick to allow McBeal to continue and said, Just trust the process, Mr. Robinson. At these words, Robinson snapped and tried to get at a smiling, smug-looking baby Fultz. It took several policemen to restrain Robinson, and Judge Ito warned him to get a hold of himself. 
Robinson reached into his pants and inquired of the judge if that was enough hold for him. At this point, Robinson's lawyer, Gloria Eldred, asked for a recess. Judge Ito offered a 15-minute break, but Robinson demanded and received a 60-minute break to get himself some cheesesteaks, on the condition that he got Judge Ito one as well. After the break, Aldred offered up an impassioned plea to the court, showing that in fact Robinson was the victim and had suffered severe mental trauma. She pointed out that baby Fultz kept odd hours, made unreasonable demands for wet food, and also that Fultz had touched Robinson without his consent on several occasions, and went on to say he was the victim and cited the much-used Me Too defense. Fultz laughed out loud at this remark and was reminded by the bench to be silent. Robinson was then heard to say, yeah, you cockblocker, at which Fultz then hissed at Robinson. Things then got worse and escalated when LeVar Ball called Robinson a wannabe. Robinson leaped over the bench and punched Ball squarely in the face while replying, Big Baller this. At this point, all hell broke loose as Judge Ito called for silence and then RKO'd a screaming Ally McBeal. He then delivered a paralyzing blow to the solar plexus of Gloria Aldred. Joel Embiid then awoke and screamed at Robinson, trust the process repeatedly, Robinson then Robinson, I'm sorry, then tried to strangle Embiid with the ugliest coat this reporter has ever seen. <laughs> Ito had had enough at this point and put Robinson in a chokehold and had him arrested for contempt. An onlooker was heard to yell, Make sure Tom has his phone so he can answer when I call him every seven and a half minutes. <laughs> Ito then told the bailiff to secure dark sunglasses for the jury so they didn't have to see that abomination of a coat. The court was adjourned and cleared. And that's where we stand at this point. Back to the studio, and you, Nate and Tim. <laughs> you know... <laughs> you know... Wow. There you go. Wow. That's all I can say is wow. That's all I got. That's all I got. Wow. The, an- the analyst, Mr. Ciccolini. Two of the thunk. <laughs> Didn't know you could get called every seven and a half minutes in jail. But anyway. <laughs> Someone was oh, hoping goodness. that was the case. But anyhow. Well, <laughs> we've got a lot to get to here on the show after we've killed 15 minutes. <laughs> and the listeners are now jumping off like passengers it's of the called, Titanic after it hit the iceberg. It's called foreshadowing, Nate. To set up. Yes. Back one. <laughs> Well, let's get a little serious here. Um, The biggest news of the week is the injury to DeMarcus Cousins. Um, If if to be believed, we believe DeMarcus Cousins um, is now, he's going to miss the entire season from the looks of things. Uh, Apparently his career is in jeopardy. Um, He has an ACL injury. But apparently they're saying he may – his career – some people are saying his career is in jeopardy. Some people are saying he's not done, though. Um, different sources are saying different things. Uh, he's got an ACL tear, and he tore it during a workout in Las Vegas. And it, to me it's a shame because DeMarcus Cousins is a great player who was on the verge of becoming just monstrous Um Years ago in Sacramento, he goes to New Orleans. Doesn't exactly turn into what what one had hoped. 
Um, but yeah, so it's a big injury for the market. We got a call here. Uh, let's see who this is. Hello, caller. You're on with Wide Men Can't Jump. I just want to say, fellas, superb job on not screwing up the intro this week. Boston well, wins the 2020 War World Championship. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. Uh, yeah, hey, Boston, that's a very daring uh, pick there, sir. But uh, we're, we're happy we didn't screw up the intro either for one. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much for your call. We appreciate it. Not a problem, fellas. Carry on. Thank you. Well, we appreciate that call, and uh, it, it's good to know that our it's good to know that our introduction screw ups are not uh, being overlooked. So, <laughs> oh, uh, that's a great, it's all a good, great it's call. All good. Uh, yeah, no, man, but the market's twenty twenty. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, sure. Why not? Why not? Hey. They got a chance. Crazy they got a shot. could happen. Yeah, that's a it's a bold prediction, but we'll see if it works out for him. Um, all right, so, well, you know. Well, DeMarcus Cousins, though, uh, he's done for the year, more than likely. The Lakers are now looking to replace him. Uh, sources have said, yo, Kim Noah could possibly be the guy. There's been some rumors of the Polish hammer, Martin Gortat, coming back into the league again. Uh, but the big news was, uh, Dwight Howard, who's currently a Memphis Grizzly, um, has been given clearance to go and talk to um, the Lakers. So there's a possibility that the Lakers could be looking to bring back Dwight Howard again. Uh, we know how well that went the first time. Not not beautiful, but it did it did happen. Uh, what's your thoughts, Tim? Well, it's hard for me to uh, be too upset about uh, misfortune. Uh, striking the Lakers. Uh, however, that being said, nobody wants to see anybody get injured. Um, that is a, a serious, probable career-ending injury for him. Um, it's going to hurt the Lakers, I think. Now that, that's going to put some pressure on, um, well, not on LeBron, but the other guy because he's going to have to step it up even more uh, unless they really find somebody to fill that spot. But um, I'm not a, not a big believer in Dwight. I mean, if Dwight Howard had anything left, he'd be playing. Uh, or at least that's my take. Um, Dwight Howard's Gort, been so injury-ridden for so yeah, many years. I just, I just don't see what he brings to the table. Um, I'm going to have to say of those names. It is because he was, you know, another guy that, you know, whether you like him or hate him on a personal level is irrelevant. Um, when he was uh, healthy, he was a force and then some. Hey, what? Um, uh, but of the list of guys that they, that they're considering, uh, I mean, Gortat, I mean, really? Um, I've got a story here by Woj and all our good, my good friend uh, Adrian, who uh, yeah, you know how I feel about Adrian, but uh, oh yeah, also said he's also said that most Mo spikes is being uh, brought in for a workout. I'm not sure if I'm getting that last name right, but um, most spikes. 
Spates. Okay, Spates. I would have to say of the people I don't really know much about him. I'm going to have to say that, I mean, I mean, Yoakam Noah was at one time not a bad player. I don't know what he has left um, now. Uh, I don't know if the Lakers have got the assets. Like, you know, if they're going to bring in somebody like that, I mean, do they have a good enough team to protect a guy who is not at full oomph in that position, if you know what I'm saying? Like, well, you know, they, they're kind of a cobbled up lineup as it is once we get past Davis and, and LeBron, and both of those guys are, well, let's be honest, you know, uh, old-er and injury-prone, or both in some cases. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I, I'm interested to see who they decide is, and they don't have a whole lot of money to spend, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. Well, one thing I'm thinking of is the person, whomever it may be, whether it be Dwight Howard, Joachim Noah, Gortat, Mo Spates, um, any of these centers, really, that they're looking to bring in, it's all really not that relevant because they have JaVale McGee on this roster. Um, you can play McGee at the center. You can play Davis at the at center if you absolutely had to. They've got enough pieces to go around to make this work, even if they don't bring somebody in. So losing Cousins, yeah, not exactly uh, what they wanted to happen. But losing him isn't going to be if, now this is, of course, if Davis, LeBron, and company stay healthy. It's not going to be as big of a blow because they really weren't expecting Cousins to be back for the start of the season. They have McGee. He's a rim protector. That's what he does. He fits in pretty decently uh, with this team for now. Cousins was going to be a guy who... You have him, if he turns out to be what he was before injury, yeah, great. But if not, then kind of is what it is. Um, So whoever they pick up, probably not going to see that many minutes anyway. I mean, I guess with the the changes in the the league, the center position is not quite as important as it once was. Um, I just don't don't see – I mean, if they got to put Davis at center – uh, do they really want him playing big minutes? I mean, they certainly don't want him playing big minutes at center. Uh, but yeah, I guess maybe by committee they could get it done, but that's not going to get you uh, a very deep into the playoffs, if at all, if that's what they got to do. Well, and again, you kind of look at it from a point of even if you have to play Davis at the five, it's not really going to hurt that bad. Um, at least in my opinion. I mean, I mean, do you basically you start him at center for the jump, and after that he doesn't really play center anymore, per se. Yeah, kinda. I mean, you just rotate him back to his spot, and and you know, because not a lot of teams have got that. Uh, you know, the big man is not really part of the game that much anymore. So maybe it's much ado about nothing. Yeah, I mean, you're still looking at it from a a perspective of you know, and, and they're gonna play they're gonna play uh, small ball a lot too, because you'll see LeBron handling the ball mostly anyway. Yeah, they're gonna play LeBron ball is what they're gonna do. So, um, yeah, no, you might be right on that one. That it may be that it's unfortunate that for Cousins, but in the big picture. It really doesn't amount to a whole lot. 
Yeah, and with Frank Vogel being the guy who kind of is, well, he's the coach uh, for how long, we don't know. but For how much power he has, we don't know. Really, with Jason Kidd on the bench. It's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do. You know, another guy, a name that you haven't heard, uh, maybe could make a spark or a splash there, uh, Roy Hibbert. He's a guy who hasn't been in the league in a few years. He thrived in Indiana with Frank Vogel. Maybe they bring Roy Hibbert back. Maybe they give him some time. Uh, it's hard to say. But eventually you're going to see that center position kind of revolve around Davis, McGee. You know, if you play small, maybe you have Kuzma guard in the five, depending on who it is you're playing. I mean, obviously, if you're playing a team that's got a traditional big man like Detroit, you're not going to have Kuzma at the five. But if you're playing Golden State, uh, who's going to throw Draymond Green out there at the five at times, you can have Kuzma guard Draymond Green. I don't think that would be an issue. Well, uh, the Lakers will just smother teams with that awesome, amped-up LeBron James. we got to make the playoffs defense. <laughs> LeBron James' regular season defense is a, is a sight to behold. That but is for can, sure. Uh, he can play defense. And if him if, and, and Davis definitely can play defense. So maybe that's, like I said, maybe they're not that, you know, okay, if you're going to beat us with a big man, give it a go. We dare you to, to try to bring the ball in here. See if you can. And we're, we're going to defy you to try to beat us that way. Yeah. Well, it remains to be seen. So that's, uh, it's that's interesting, been the big though, and unfortunate. It is because you never want to see anybody get hurt. Um, and believe it or not, I'm, I'm actually a pretty big DeMarcus Cousins fan. I always, uh, I've always enjoyed his his play on the floor, even all the way back to Kentucky. Uh, I was a big fan of his then, and I, I like him now. So man, I didn't. I don't even want to see Christian Leitner get hurt. He didn't play anymore. But I, you know, that's that's where that is for me. I mean, the, the guys I totally despise. Still don't want to see anybody get injured. That just ain't cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean nobody nobody wants you don't see anybody get hurt ever, so Well, unless you're a Philadelphia seventy yeah. sixers fan, then maybe. Well, <laughs> unless you're a seventy sixers fan and Ben and Ben Simmons is the guy that you don't want. Like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the guy the guy <laughs> plays for your team. <laughs> you yeah. You don't know down. who it could be. <laughs> you don't know who it could be. <laughs> Oh, who, who would fit into that profile, right? I have no oh, man. That's the kind of people that need to have. You know, sometimes people just need to have a little fun in life. And when you want to have fun, we want to invite you to head over to our sponsors, the good people at StripCamFun.com. Let's hear from them, shall we? Are you tired of the same old average, everyday lifestyle and the same old job that has you making less money than what you know you're worth? Well, you should head on over to StripCamFun.com. On StripCamFun, there are tons of eligible men and women waiting to perform for you, and you can join in on the fun yourself. Just head on over at StripCamFun.com, where you can strip on cam and have some fun. If you get there right now, you'll get to see some of the most beautiful women, men, and whatever else your heart desires. And you can take advantage of the good times being had on StripCamFun.com. Make sure you get there right now and let them know that Wide Men Can't Jump brought you over. Because StripCamFun.com is not just for everyone. Must be 18 years of older to join in on the good times. 
Strip Cam Fun, be sure to visit right now at StripCamFun.com where you can strip on cam and have some fun. Again, thanks to our great sponsors over at StripCamFun.com. Well, we've got another call, so let's hit the board. What's up? You're on the air with Wide Men Can't Jump. Yeah, I've already called the police on y'all, just so you know. Okay. What up? What up? <laughs> What's up, Naj? <laughs> What's up, Hey, man, Everybody how's it going? Long time, long time no here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How you guys doing? Doing okay. Doing okay. Just uh, trying, to, I'll take, trying to make it through this dead time with no sports. <laughs> right. Or very, or very little sports, as we don't count baseball on this show. Hey, at least you ain't working at one of the big networks where you got to invent stories every day. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, really. <laughs> Although, if they're looking to hire, you can uh, find me at WideMenCan'tJump at gmail.com. There we go. But uh, anyway, <laughs> anyway, you know, I'm kind of I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, Nosh, because this is the kind of situation right here that I think you would have a good um, a good opinion on. So I'm going to play a clip here. It's about a minute. Uh, you guys can uh, take a listen to this in case anybody may have missed this. Royce White has gone on record of saying very controversial statements over the past week. Before before we weigh in on it, because we've probably all heard it, our listeners may not, so I was able to clip it here. And this is what Royce White had to say, and then we'll save our comments for after. I also forgot to edit the music. Melo is absolutely being blackballed. He's one of the realest in it. He's one of those dudes that, you know, he ain't like me. He don't talk, like, brash and, and straightforward like that, but he has those morals and principles, you know. Um, and he, he's given too much to the game for them not to allow him to play or for them to, you know, kind of culturally just make a, make a decision or an agreement that he's not good enough anymore. All of us here that play the, bat, play the game at the highest level know how good Melo is, and, and we know that there's no way that the Lakers would go out and sign Jared Dudley and not sign Carmelo Anthony. And another question is, while a guy like LeBron is walking around here like he's the face and voice of the players, how is he letting his banana boat brother hang out there in the wings and they go sign Jared Dudley and not Carmelo? If anybody watching this thinks that Jared Dudley can hold Carmelo's jock strap, I'll slap you. Well, there you go. There's the comments from Royce White. So, Naj, you're our guest right now. What are you in on that? What do you think? I, I'll say like I saw on my Twitter timeline, uh, if Royce wants to come slap somebody, uh, tell him let's fly somewhere and meet to have that fight. Oh, oh, you scared to get on the plane. Yeah, calm down, young man. Uh, this is this is ridiculousness at its highest form. Mello is not being blackballed. Uh, there are two competing things that are causing Mello not to have a job. Uh, number one, Carmelo chose the money over control of his career. When his 03 draft brethren kept their options open and were able to go to Miami and do all the power moves that they were doing, Melo kept signing max extensions and leaving his career in the hands of other people. And that's proven to be a huge mistake. The max money sometimes is not worth it. And then the other part is you've got way too many analytic people uh, within some of these front offices and they've convinced themselves that they know everything. And because of that, there are, you know, there are a few spots that Melo could have been, 
but people were able to talk themselves out of it because they're so analytically inclined. So th- those two competing things are why he doesn't have a job, but no, he's not being blackballed. Tim, what's your thoughts? I want to know why it's okay for him to say banana boat. And that, like, I mean, I guess it's a, it's, a, it's a black man talking about a black man, I guess. Correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. I just, I don't, I mean, the guy's a clown. Um, I don't know if he's just trying to get his two minutes of uh, TV time or what, whatever it was. But, uh, I mean, when's the last time Carmelo Anthony played and did anything? No offense to Carmelo. I mean, he was a good player at one time, but how long ago? Well, I'll say this. Uh, While I do think if they were to play a game of one-on-one, I think Melo would wipe the floor with Jared Dudley. And no no offense to Jared Dudley. Jared Dudley's a great player. But this is the NBA. This isn't a pickup game. This isn't one-on-one. This ain't even Olympic ball. This is about having a teammate. And this is about a guy who's able to not only be a good teammate and to realize his role and do his role and uh, do what he's supposed to do. This is about playing defense. This is about being the player that you're supposed to be on the court. Melo is a great offensive scorer. Melo is also a trash defender and has been for a long time. Um, the reason why you bring Jared Dudley in over Carmelo Anthony is because Jared Dudley knows his role. Jared Dudley knows, hey, I'm going to spot up in the corner and I'm going to shoot threes. I'm going to play eight minutes a game to ten minutes a game. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to make my money. I'm going to be a veteran leader to this team. Carmelo Anthony has not accepted that his role has changed. He's no longer the superstar that he once was, and the fact that he's a defensive liability doesn't help either. So, to me, that's why Carmelo Anthony does not have a job right now. Because the game has kind of passed him by in terms of Melo is an ISO ball player, but he's not a good enough ISO ball player to where he can take over the game and get to the rim. He's not like a James Harden ISO player, and I don't like James Harden at all, but James Harden can take over a game with his shooting and his ability to get to the basket. Melo's going to get the ball, and all ball movement will cease. Everyone will stand around while Melo runs the shot clock down, and he will pull up for a mid-range jump shot. In analytics, that's a horrible shot. Now, granted, you can argue the analytic argument all you want, but and then on the other end, he's a defensive liability. So that's why Melo doesn't have a job. And that's that's my two cents on it. What kind of guy is he? Is there any? Is he? Uh, if you know what I mean by that, like I haven't really heard anything. Negative. I mean, this is about his people attitude, like about his attitude, or that kind of stuff. So, no, he's, he's mean, an okay guy. People like him. Uh, okay, like, so it's not like, bad, like I said, I, I think that there's room on both sides of that argument. Like I said, the analytic argument, argument, I hear it. That's factual. All that does to me, though, is limit the amount of teams that he has a possibility to be on. But he should be on a roster. He's good enough to be one of the twelve. Uh, throughout the NBA. Like I said, it's just those yeah. two competing things. It, it's the limited amount of teams who would take him on, and it's him mismanaging his career uh, with the idea of maxing out instead of having control. So he put himself in a bad spot by doing that to where he goes to Houston 
and they're asking him to be a three and D guy and spot up shooter and a stretch four. And it's like, why the hell would you even sign there for that? Like, of course they're going to get rid of you mid season and, and get a job to a D league rookie type guy who can do it for half the price and, and defend better. So that was a bad fit overall. I mean, it was so bad that, that Atlanta traded for him and let him go. And we're talking yeah. about Atlanta. Atlanta sucked. Well, I mean, or at least they did. The they did. The they did. They They didn't even keep him. Yeah, well, I we mean, needed he, to continue he, to suck. We had a draft. We had draft picks to get now. We, <laughs> whoa, buddy, don't yeah. come in here scoring points. <laughs> we well, to, I'm not. Yeah, hey, now you need to quit that. We're trying to lose here, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> but Melo was waived, and and he was able to go sign wherever he wanted. And it's just like. And it's a shame because, honestly, Carmelo Anthony early on in his career, he was unstoppable at one point. But the game evolved, and he didn't. And I think that's the problem. If Melo, if this was 1998 or 99, and Carlo Melo Anthony came into the league, Carmelo Anthony would be a star on a roster right now. We wouldn't even, there'd be no debate about this. But we're sitting here talking about it because the game has changed. Steph Curry couldn't have played the way he plays back in 98-99. And Melo can't play in 2019 the way Melo played when he first came into the league. And that's just a fact. Yeah, not because as the, the game has the ball. And this is, yeah, but see, but this is where I get into everybody doing the same analytical ideas and coming to the same conclusion. This is where somebody should have been smart enough to say, okay, you're going to run with the second team. You'll be the primary scorer off the bench with that second team, and we're fine with that. But you're not going to get guaranteed 15-plus minutes. Like, your minutes are going to be limited, but you'll get shots and be effective to kind of keep things going while we rest the starters. That's what somebody should have been smart enough to do. But if you get caught up in X's and O's and ones and zeros and all you're doing is data points, you start to lose the idea of, of what makes good basketball sense, and that—that's where this kind, this problem, you know, turned into. He just had to sit out for the rest of the year. But somebody should be smart enough to bring him on. Man. He, he's worth the roster spot. I think. So. I mean, he's worth the risk. It's just he needs to fit in your system, and I think that's the biggest issue. Is right now nobody's looking for the guy. To, but can we talk about in the, if, you can't, if you can't use a guy off the bench to score points with the second team, your system needs to be reevaluated. Like, no, just just plug him in off the bench, have him score off the bench, and that's fine. You're not bringing him in as a primary guy or a starter, is that? But like I said, yeah, man, okay. I, we're, I see we're, that we're argument. I do. A problem in the NBA because everybody's doing the same thing. Um, I will say this. When I, I look at the the Mello situation, is he willing to do that? Is he willing to be a bench player? Is he willing to come off the bench and score and not get that guaranteed minutes and know that, yeah, you were once this great player, but now you're a bench player, and that's what you're going to do. Now, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, guys like that, they embraced that role. They said, fine, I'm going to do that, and – then they they became great players at doing so, and they really don't they like coming off the bench now. Um, I don't know if Melo would adapt to that. I don't know if that's if it's maybe an ego thing, 
Or maybe he's just like, no, I'd, I'd rather start and play that way. I, I think he's open to it. Uh, just just understand, man, he's got a basketball player's pride like anybody else. That dude is embarrassed that he's not on the roster, man. Like, he can say whatever he wants to say, but that hurts. And <laughs> he knows it. And I think he'll be willing to do it. Now, will he be willing to do that for the Memphis Grizzlies? Probably not. You know what I mean? He'll probably want to be on at least a good team or some oh, yeah. decent team. But I, I think he'll be willing to do it. He that dude, like, he, say what you want he, to say. He's embarrassed. He would want to get a shot at it. He's never won a title, correct? Yep. Yeah, so he, he – I mean, that might be the thing he – I'm going to guess that that was what was the drive behind the Houston move to some extent because um, he's done everything else uh, there is to do. Most decorated, so. most decorated Olympic basketball player of all time. Well, he's a uh, arguably here, he's the a, best Olympic basketball player of all time. He's for a, what that's worth. a ten-time uh, first-team All-Star, scoring champion, rookie first team. He won the NCAA championship. Uh, the, all the Olympic nonsense. I mean, there's not much he hasn't done. So should have won Rookie of the Year, in my opinion. I felt as though I he mean, deserved it. I, I don't know. Like you said, maybe I, I won't say it's necessarily swallowing the ego, but some some guys have a problem. It's hard to admit that you've, you know, maybe lost a step, or you're just not quite as good as you once were. That that's hard for some guys, especially professional. Father time is undefeated. Too. Yeah, but it's it's still tough. We see it all the time where where guys should have hung it up, and, and you know they they play that extra year and get creamed, or you know you see it in boxing where <laughs> you know that was just one fight too many for for that guy. You should have hung it up, and it, it happens in all sports. And maybe he's just one of those guys if he can't uh, get it straight in his own head that uh, you know his his place is going to be limited role or not at all. Uh, and and perhaps, as he said, uh, maybe it's more a case, too, of that teams are not even bothering to find out if that's the case. They're just going to assume that because he is who he is, that uh, he's not going to – that's not a favorable thing for him, and they're not even considering him, and they probably should be. Yeah. And that possibility not weight well. is probably the biggest problem, too. Uh, he should get a little bigger – so he can legitimately play the four to where you're not losing anything. Because he, he just doesn't have the foot speed to really be effective on the wing guard. Like, that's not even an effort thing. That's a try hard as you want to, buddy. You can't guard me, old man. And, you know, that, that's just what it's going to be. Right. So, I mean, uh, you're not wrong. I mean, yeah, you're I mean, not wrong. He's, 30, he's 35 years old, which, you know, isn't old. But in the in the basketball world, that's getting up there. I mean, he. Even the great ones don't have a lot left. You know, yeah. Nobody, you know, who plays till 40 anymore? Nobody. Or very few. Right. Vince and, Carter, that's who. Vince fucking <laughs> Carter, that's who. Yeah, Vince, I sit on the bench and watch <laughs> most of the game. Carter, another hey, guy who, they would can, who can't. Guys hey. salute Vince, though, for, for becoming the man he should have been when he was younger. You, you, you really have got to appreciate the growth, man. Because he went from oh, being yeah, a guy yeah. who had he, all of the superstar stuff that, that people complain about, about who a guy is. And that, that was Vince early in his career. But he's matured so much now. He's, he's getting a, veteran, veteran He's guy a guy who, who figured out that he wasn't going to be a starter anymore. Right. And he, and he was going to have to take whatever teams were willing to give him if he wanted to stay in the league. And he's 
done that from all accounts and is still in the league. So First Atlanta never cut up for smarter. two rounds. Uh, if somebody walks in with fast food, he's probably giving them a ten minute speech. Uh, he's doing all the old guy keep getting check moves. Like, <laughs> hey, young, hey, young fella, let me tell you something, man. You can't eat that McDonald's and expect to play minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's that going guy all, now, man. Going all Jimmy Butler yeah. on people. Nah, he actually cares. Nah, he You're actually right. cares. Well, Jimmy cares. Jimmy cares about Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy cares. You ever say Jimmy down. cares about Jimmy? Just trying to build you up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're, you're right. You're right. Point, point, point conceded. <laughs> I'll say this about Vince Carter: he gets overlooked sometimes for his contributions to the game, and he will this season. He'll break the record for twenty-two seasons in the league, which is hey. insane. Damn. He is he is responsible for the Toronto Raptors being what they are. People can say yeah, what they I'll want, but, but but without him, that franchise doesn't get off the ground. And right. he is responsible for – you know what I'm going to say, and if you don't agree with me, I don't really care. The greatest slam dunk performance ever in a dunk contest. It wasn't even close. Yeah, I don't know who's that, trying to fight you on that one. Yeah, that's I what I'm trying to fight you on that I love Zach. Dr. J, Mike, whoever you want. I, will, I would argue that – that Michael's one dunk was spectacular. The tongue from the free throw was pretty spectacular. But as an overall effort, that was in a game though. What that was in a game. He did that during the during the uh, dunk competition too. I feel like Vince oh, could do that without stretching. But but re- <laughs> yeah, but, re- yeah but, re- but regardless, as a as a total effort in a, in a competition, nobody's even close. That's I mean, did you? If you see the look on Shaquille O'Neal's face when Vince Carter did that dunk and Shaq's holding that big-ass, goofy-looking 2000 <laughs> camera that everybody had, and he had the look <laughs> on his face, his girl was pleasuring him, and he finished, and she kept going, that that was the look Shaq had on his face when <laughs> Vince Carter did the, dunk, the dunk. Wasn't that the, so, the same look that he would get when he would hit a free throw? That look? <laughs> <laughs> It's the same thing as he had when he always something like when, when made guys look at somebody like a fan looks at somebody, and that's that's when you know you're seeing something different. So like when Verlander's yeah. throwing, and you see like all star pitchers watching, like damn, you see that stuff. You know what I mean? Like that's what it is with Vince, like dunk contest. Like Mike, everybody is giving it up to him because they had to. Like it's, yeah, I mean the judge. Yeah. Came over the table to congratulate him on some of the dunks he was doing. Well, he kind of. It, I've never, it, never seen anything like it. In all seriousness, yeah. he kind of he ruined the competition. He right. kind of did because nobody else has even been able to come close, and it got so boring that you know. Uh, well, and then guys started exactly. to do crazy, crazy shit with props and all this nonsense, and, <laughs> and exactly. it, 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 it got dumb. Yeah. The Zach Levine Aaron Gordon dunk competition, as far as competition, was the best I've ever seen. But the best single performance in a dunk contest ever was Vince Carter, uh, bar none. And uh, I don't yeah, care what Vince anybody says. Vince walks into that dunk contest, we're asking which one of them gets better. And Zach Levine yeah. is high up there on that list too. He's done good too, man. But so it, he, um... if, if Vince was the man he is now, 
when he was young in Toronto, he would be one of the greatest players to ever play too. But he how, was, yeah, how long does it uh, how long does it take Vince Carter to get into the Hall of Fame? Oh, he's getting in. He's getting oh, he's quick. getting he's getting in, but how long does it take him? I think first time. I think he gets in. Man, the he NBA should. Hall of Fame is a tricky. It's a tricky one. I guess it not it necessarily, might, but I think he will. You know what I'm saying? It might de- yeah, it might depend on who else is eligible during his. Uh... As a first scoring option, you could probably say his team will fail. They underachieve. So, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't think he should be, but I think he will. Um, and you look at his his run with the Nets, even with Jason Kidd and. I got a little soft spot for that old Nets team from back when they played the Lakers. It was uh, Jason Kidd and Lucius Harris and Kerry Kittles and Vince Carter and Kenyon Martin and Keith Van Horn and all those cats. I really liked that team, the way they were put together. But, um, you know, he was a great second option there. Vince was a great player. He always was. Um, I don't know. He just – he'll always be remembered for that dunk contest, though, to me. That's going to be what he's remembered for. That'll be his legacy. Yeah. And uh he probably should he probably should go down as a uh as a Hall of Famer. But I mean the NBA Hall of Fame's tricky now. I mean, I can't sit here and say that they let just anybody in. Cuz they don't. Well, and he's been a kind of a part-time player really since what last 4 or 5 years. That he really, you know, he hasn't been an integral part of the team for quite a while. You know, he's been a bench guy at best, but I guess that depends on how much. And he's never won. He never won, which is I don't know how much credence they put on the NBA in that, but they they certainly do in other sports. That's always kind of a that's usually the thing that tips you is if you if you played for a winner, you can usually get in if your stats are a little soft, but. He'll make it. He might not be first ballot, but he'll probably get in. And probably. Yeah, and I believe, and believe it or not, there's only like 178 players in the NBA Hall of Fame. As wild as that sounds, I mean, that sounds like a big number to a lot of people. That's really not that big of a number. Not really. <laughs> if you look at everybody that's ever played, so uh, well, he'll get in. In my to be opinion. honest, that's that's how it should be, though. It's not. It's not supposed to be the NBA Hall of Goodness. It's supposed right. to be the best, the best of the best of the best, not guys who were not like baseball where they've watered it down to such ridiculous, you know, guys who really don't shouldn't even be there getting in first ballot practically, and it's it's made a joke of the whole thing, really. Well, it's not only that, but and when I say WWE the whole thing, thing. Well, I'm gonna be started on that. Um, <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, I think the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. That is actually um, women players as well. So this is 178 is a list of women and men in the Hall might of Fame. Also, so. uh, might also matter who's doing the voting. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and they've been uh, kind of fast-tracking it the past few years. People have been getting in a lot yeah, they quicker have, than they used to. Uh, you, know when, you know what year Robert Parrish went in the Hall of Fame? If you, if you really want to think about it, talk about fast-track, um, 2004. 2003, he went in. This says here that there's 389 guys in the NBA Hall of Fame. Okay, well, maybe I'm looking at the wrong. coaches and GMs. Yeah, that includes coaches. Yeah, yeah, it just says individuals. I'm trying to find out who does the 
Yeah. Who does the voting? And then you got to think about the international arm of it now, too. So guys like Ginobili, Yao Ming, and, and whatnot, like if you're the best player from your country, they got to let you in, too. So it's like you made a Oscar Schmidt, mm. like that. Like you, you get in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Because you have it's, it's also uh, interna- uh, international amateurs as well. So, and yep. American amateurs for that matter. The committee is nine from North America, seven ladies, seven international, and seven veterans make up the. Well, there you committee. go. So, I remember pretty, uh, hearing a debate a few. I heard a debate a few years ago on if Robert Ory should be in the Hall of Fame or not. Oh man, come uh, on! <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was an argument going on. Uh, well, if he Ori played for the he, he played for he played for the Atlanta Hawks at some point, didn't he? Ori, no, he was a Rocket. No? He played for the Spurs. Played for the Lakers. Oh, because okay. oh, I was going to say, if he played for the Hawks, doesn't that automatically like disqualify you from the Hall of Fame? Hey, but you remember, hey, he took a lot of heat a couple years ago well, when they turned down Dominique, which was a huge mistake. Like Dominique should have been in, but oh, yeah, they weren't he, letting him he, in. For I think. I think he eventually oh, did go in, did he? He's yeah. got to go. If he isn't, he's, he'd have to go in just on name recognition. I mean, how many kids knew who he was back in the right. day? And hell, even I knew who right. he was up in Canada. I know who he is. And I mean, I yeah. guess he's another guy that never really played on a – didn't play on a winner or anything, I don't think. But individually was hell on the He was just born in the wrong time, man. They get to the playoffs every year, and they get put out by Philly or Boston. <laughs> he, could, he could dunk like nobody's business. Absolutely. Well, Naj, I hate to cut our conversation short, but we've got a bunch of pre-recorded interviews we need to get to, and that'll right. take up most of our time. But we appreciate you calling in, as always. Oh, so how's it going, man? Thanks for letting me on. Y'all be easy. Anytime, take it man. Easy, you Naj. too. Well, again, Tim, let's bring up our great sponsors at Stay Classy Meats. They are bringing us the best quality meats at competitive prices, the online meat market that you need. Stay Classy Meats. Let's hear more from them. Stay Classy Meats is your online meat market where you can get the best quality meat for competitive prices. Head on over to stayclassymeats.com and use the promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% on your order. That's right. If you head to stayclassymeats.com, you can save 10% on your order with promo code WIDEMEN, but that's not all. Not only will Stay Classy Meats give you 10% off, they're also throwing in a free pound of Montana grass-fed ground beef. Make sure you get over to stayclassymeats.com right now to check out their selection, whether it be pork, ribs, chicken, steak, bison, ribeye, or any other type of meat that you desire. You can get it at stayclassymeats.com. They are high-quality meat that you will not want to miss out on. If you like to eat well and eat clean and eat some of the best quality products out there, Stay Classy Meat is for you. Again, head to stayclassymeats.com right now. Again, thanks to our great sponsors at Stay Classy Meats. What? Oh, God. No, you got to be kidding me. Well, our great producer, Rusty Shackelford, has informed me, ladies and gentlemen, that we've got a special audio email that is uh, it's addressed urgent, play immediately. Tim, do you know anything about this? 
Well, that must it's got to be it's just will be Buxnort unless unless Ron Tobinson is out there, but uh, I'm unaware. Oh uh, well. All right. Well, it says play immediately, so we're going to go ahead and get to it. Let's play. Get ready on what the, we have in store. Get get ready on the mute button in case it's something nasty. All right. The following is brought to you by the National Basketball Association in association with the National Recording Artists of America. Man Willis Reed could play Back in the day the Knicks were pretty good Jump on a flight, travel all night Beat the Lakers down in Hollywood But since 1999 it's been trouble James Dolan, he ain't so fine Ain't seen the playoffs in a long, long time. Oh, baby. Let's scatter a little bit. Patrick Ewing came, thought things would change, but they never would. Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls were just too damn good. I know what we're not needing. David Fisdale's record is 17 and 65. Oh man, we ain't gonna see the playoffs for a long, long time. Oh baby, the pain. Oh yeah. In 1999, things looked fine until the final round. Then the Admiral came and pounded us into the ground. Van Gundy, Don Chaney, even Larry Brown, not so fine. Damn, why do we have to lose all the time? Got the pain. Oh, there's more about it. It was so easy to believe in insanity. All we got was a bitter taste of first round reality. Since 2012, all we've done is sink into the ground. Now we spend our time drafting in the first round. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. Picks who never stay in town, or we trade them away for people that ain't any good. Oh, the sucker. But let's wrap it up, baby. Well, it don't matter, cause we're going down. Oh, man, remember? Oh, my God, we let Isaiah Thomas into town. The last six years, we're 163, 329. Gonna be losing for a long, long time. I'm sorry, dear, but that's just a fact. You thought you were gonna win that lottery and get Don Williamson, but you had to settle for R.J. Barrett. So sorry. That's it for me. Right, over. Up here in this job. Y'all have a good day now. Oh, my God. Well, you know who that was, right? Yeah. How's that son of a bitch, Frank? Shackleford. 
Don't ever <laughs> answer an email from him. Jeez. Although, I must admit, the man does spin a hell of a tune. To the tune of Empire State or to New York State of Mind by Billy Joel, of all things. How did he know we were doing a New York episode this week? Mm, Frank has got... I didn't know lot, until yesterday. Frank has got a lot of friends in a lot of places. He probably knows somebody at Blog Talk or uh, Twitter. You, you can't rule it out. You know, those crazy buggers, they, they got networks and, you know, he, he, even, he, he probably knows Dave Meltzer. Oh, Jesus. Well, on that note, I'll tell you who I know. And since this episode is is now, this last hour will be completely dedicated to the city of New York City. We're going to cover two teams in New York. Let's go ahead and go first to my conversation with the man who covers the Nets here in our network, Brian Fonseca from MSG Networks and Slam Online, as we're going to talk about the New York Nets, their big offseason, and what to expect. What say you up there in Canada, Tim? Uh, Tom Robinson is in jail, so uh, Rusty, could you roll the tape? Joining us back on the show is an independent content creator and coverage for the new look Brooklyn Nets, Brian Fonseca. Brian, thanks again for jumping back on the show with us. Thank you for having me. What's going on? Uh, not a lot, but a busy off season for the Brooklyn Nets as they have acquired uh, just key talent all over the place, and many people calling them uh, basically the winner of the off season. Uh, what's your thoughts on the the Nets off season so far this year? I mean, well, this is this is. Not what a lot of people expected, but I thought this is what they sort of had a chance at, if that makes sense. I thought that they would be in the mix for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and guys like that, but as recently as probably the end of the season, if you would have asked me if it was possible, I probably would have said no, but, you know, it's been highly successful on paper. There's just a lot of things that people have to account for as they move forward. Like, you know, there's there's a level of patience that people need to have even still. Like, yes, you've got Kyrie Irving, but – He's coming out of a situation in Boston where there are people to blame for how that went down and how that team underachieved and all the things that came out of the locker room. And even though there are reports that him and Terry Rozier sort of passed things up and, you know, stuff like that, it still happened. So over the course of a season, we have to see, you know, how that Nets sort of culture and infrastructure and what they've built, if that's going to be able to, you know, sustain itself when a dynamic personality like Kyrie Irving is in there. Then you also have Kevin Durant, who – you know, has a torn Achilles and is not going to play for a number of months. Maybe he plays before this season's over, maybe not. I'm not so sure. Will he ever be the same again? So there are a lot of questions as it relates to just those two alone. And then you have the rest of the roster. They signed DeAndre Jordan, but they also have Jared Allen. So what's going to sort of happen there? Is Spencer Dinwiddie going to take yet another leap, or is this it? Is Karis LeVert going to be able to stay healthy for an entire season? So these are sort of you know, every this is sort of everything that they need to sort of address as the season goes on, and we'll just have to wait and see how it all unfolds. Yeah, and we're assuming that Kevin Durant is not going to come back this year, and I think that's a pretty good assumption. So for this year alone, it's going to be Kyrie Irving probably being your your lead man in Brooklyn. 
uh, setting the stage for not this season, but next season when Durant finally gets back. Um, yeah. What do you expect out of Kyrie Irving? Do you expect kind of more of the same of what you got with him in Boston? Or do you think he's going to step up and take over where D'Angelo Russell kind of left off? Because I think D'Angelo Russell was a key to this Nets team last season and their success. Uh, is Kyrie a step above Russell? Sure, yeah, from a talent standpoint. Now, from a chemistry standpoint, it looks like they're trying to establish that now because Karis LeVert is over here saying that, you know, Kyrie Irving is sort of uh, setting up these workouts that they're having in Los Angeles, these sort of team gatherings, if you will, right? So uh, they need to get on the same page with that. I think their chemistry is probably going to be fine overall. I don't really know what to expect of Kyrie Irving, to be honest. I expect him to play at a high level, but I don't know what to expect in terms of uh, how things are going to sort of gel. I wouldn't be surprised if the Nets got into a slow start because there are a lot of moving parts on this team that they have to sort of get acclimated to one another. But it seems that they're out ahead of that now. And I remember that, uh, I want to say in July, yeah, it was it was sometime last late last month, Ian Eagle came on our podcast, uh, the Ain't Hard to Tell podcast with Dexter Henry and I, and Ian Eagle said that he thinks Kyrie Irving is going to ball out. Like he thinks he's going to have a – Uh, an amazing season because he's going to respond to all the criticism and he's well aware of what's being said of him and things of that nature, Um, which, you know, is all well and good and could be true. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened either. So, I mean, ultimately we'll see, but I do think that, you know, if Kyrie Irving plays the way he's capable of playing and if they could limit sort of the extra stuff outside of it that has come with Kyrie Irving historically in his NBA career, then, yeah, you could be looking at a team that's going to be highly successful in the Eastern Conference, gets out of the first round, probably wins something like 47, 48 games if all things go well. Well, you mentioned already Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan. That's kind of a, you know, if you read The Athletic, that's kind of a, one of those things where nobody really knows who's going to get the starting job. They're paying DeAndre Jordan an exorbitant amount of money to bring him in to pair up with Irving and Durant. But uh, Jared Allen is a younger player and got a lot of upside and bright future. Who eventually, I'll ask two questions in this, who wins the starting job per se? And uh, the more important question, who plays the most minutes? Because it's not really who starts. It's more about who gets more minutes uh, in that position. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, Just because I (laughs) – like, the signing was interesting to me on a number of things just because it was four years, $40 million. So that's already a pretty big commitment. And DeAndre Jordan is somebody who's been in the league for 11 years. Um, he's probably – I would think that he starts, but then what does that say about Jared Allen? Because Jared Allen's going to be in the third year of what is essentially a four-year deal, and you're going to have to decide whether or not you're going to pay him long-term is he going to want to be a backup long-term? I don't think so. Uh, you know what I mean? So there are a lot of sort of moving parts there. I, I think I think when it comes down to it, I, I don't know. I think they're going to play about the same. Like the, you might see a split of like 24 minutes each. Even last season there were times where Ed Davis closed out games, so there's definitely going to be times where you see DeAndre Jordan closing out games with uh, Jared Allen still on the bench. I, I don't know who's going to start now. I think that's going to be a legitimate competition. Uh, maybe we'll see Kenny Atkinson go back and forth with that. But, I, you know, we've seen him in situations like even even as early as their first season together in 2016-17, Kenny Atkinson of the Nets, him starting 
you know, guys like Randy Foy over younger players on the roster. So I wouldn't be surprised given the contract and things like that that DeAndre Jordan does end up starting. But I think it'll be a true competition, and whoever wins, wins. Um, yeah, I think I think that's what it's going to be. There's a lot of pieces from this Nets team from last year that are gone. Let me just run through them real quick. D'Angelo Russell, Alan Crabb, Shabazz Napier, Trevon Graham, Ed Davis, Damari Carroll, Jared Dudley, and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Of those players that are now no longer with the Nets, I'm going to take D'Angelo Russell out of that because he's clearly going to be the right answer. So other than D'Angelo Russell, who are the Nets going to miss the most? from the departures that they had. So people from the outside probably roll their eyes and stuff like this, but it's honestly probably Jared Dudley because of the leadership and how impactful he was in that locker room. He was one of the main voices that sort of helped spearhead that run that got them out from 8 and 18 or whatever it was early on in the season, and that helped turn their season around. And granted, on the floor, he's not going to be a guy that's going to – you know, do what D'Angelo Russell did, for example. He'll help you because he can knock down the three. He could defend. He's a smart guy. He'll make the right play and things of that nature. But he's not going to fill up the stat sheet over the course of 24 to 26 minutes, even if he's starting. But he is sort of that stabilizing force in the locker room that gave a lot of leadership to this club. Him, Ed Davis, and uh, Damari Carroll were definitely three of the main leaders on that team, and they're all gone now. So now they're going to have to sort of figured that out as well. You're going to DeAndre Jordan is going to be very helpful in that regard because he's going to be somebody who calls you out if you don't play defense, who's going to who's going to make Jared Allen guys like Jared Allen better, quite frankly. But I think I think Jared Dudley is probably the guy that I look at there and I'm like, man, that is a big not only a big loss for them in terms of leadership, but a big gain for the Lakers. You know, I'm sure that LeBron, that's going to be somebody that LeBron likes having in that locker room helping them out as well. Oh, I'm sure. Um, any kind of veteran leadership like that is is key in the NBA, uh, and people don't realize that unless unless you really pay attention to what players say and what uh, goes on in a locker room. But Definitely. a position that that Brooklyn is kind of stacked at here. Don't even think about Kevin Durant just yet. But I'm looking at the small forward position. You can play Joe Harris there. Karis LeVert can play it. Also, Terry and Prince came over. And they've got Wilson Chandler as well. That's a deep position. And, of course, next season it'll be Durant's spot. Um, and I'm looking at Joe Harris, Karis LeVert. Are we going to see those two guys play next to each other? Or are you going to see maybe a, a rotation there? Because uh, Spencer Dinwiddie could possibly play the two-guard if need be. Um, so there's a lot of combinations that can happen here. Garrett Temple's also on the roster. He's a, a good shooting guard. What do you think in rotation? Are they going to have to work out kind of with this roster, um, you know, who goes where, who fits where, especially with Kyrie, or are we just going to see a lot of uh, depth at the the wing? Uh, You'll see a mixture of both. I think you'll definitely see Karis LeVert and Joe Harris start together because we've seen that before already. You'll probably see something like Kyrie Irving. Obviously, Kyrie Irving, duh. Uh, Karis LeVert. And uh, Joe Harris is the one, two, and three. Um, Torian Prince could actually play the four, and that's the thing with with that small forward sort of position that you were alluding to. A lot of those guys are sort of tweeners. 
Like Wilson Chandler, I remember him with the Knicks back in the day, came up as a two and a three. The way the league's evolved, he's now a three and a four. Torian Prince could play the three and the four. Joe Harris is kind of a two, three. Karis LeVert's kind of a two, three. And we know Kevin Durant's going to be a three, four when he comes back. So you got a lot of these sort of moving parts that you could sort of, to use a fantasy football term, you could sort of flex guys out in different positions and sort of make that work. And I think that's what we're going to see a lot of. Uh, we see that a lot already in the NBA as it is. But I know from, you know, being at practices, being at games, Kenny Atkinson has often the last few years talked about positionless basketball and where the league is going and where it's sort of gone and things of that nature. I wouldn't call Draymond Green a center, but we still see him line up at the quote-unquote five spot uh, often. So I think this is something that the Nets are going to utilize where of those guys you mentioned, we could see a lineup, for example, at one point, you know, just randomly on the floor. You could have Dinwiddie at the one, and then it'll probably be something like Karis LeVert at the two, Joe Harris at the three, Wilson Chandler at the four, and then you'll probably have Jared Allen at the five. So they'll be able to play two, maybe even three of those guys you mentioned at the same time just because things are so positionless. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what the Nets want to do is spread the ball around, move, get some open shots, especially three-pointers and layups, and just sort of go from there. And a lot of those guys can knock down those three-pointers, which is why they wanted to get them to begin with. All right, I'm going to butcher this name, so overlook it. Um, Rodonis Karakas. Um, I don't know if I'm going to <laughs> Rodion Karuks. Another one of there those guys is. that could play the three. In, yeah, another one of those guys that could play the three and the four, by the way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I want to talk about him for a minute. He's kind of a guy that, uh, unless you pay attention to the NBA, maybe a diehard fan, uh, a guy that that, pot, that buys league pass every year, you don't really <clears throat> see a lot of him. You don't mention a lot of him. Um, but he's going to be a key component here. He's actually projected right now, according to the article written by Michael Scotto over at The Athletic, um, he's projected to start uh, for this Nets team. What can you tell us about him? What kind of player is he? And should we? And how much attention should we give to this guy? Uh, is he going to end up being a very key player for the Nets? Yeah, so he was somebody who emerged last year as a rookie. Uh, some people thought he should have been all-rookie second team, given his performance. He had a lot of DNPs early on in the year because of a mixture of just A, being out of the rotation, and B, he had a little bit of an injury. And then he began to start games sometime mid-December. Uh, then he was out of the starting lineup for a few games and then returned to the starting lineup to end the season. If you remember, in that playoff series, outside of the last two games where one of them he had a DNP and the other one he didn't start, but those first three games he started because he became the starting small forward uh, on that team. So you could see a starting lineup where it's, Harris um, at the two, Joe Harris at the three, obviously Kyrie at the one. I don't know why I'm counting backwards, but whatever. Uh, you have the, you have Kyrie, you have Harris, LeVert, Joe Harris. Rodion's Caruso could definitely be the four in that situation. And then in the five, you have your center between DeAndre Jordan and Jared Allen, and then that still leaves a lot of depth over there. But, you know, Caruso is somebody who averaged over eight points last year. Uh, he's tough. He can get steals very active on defense. He could shoot the three, even though he only shot like 31% from three last year. But he's somebody who, you know, was an impactful player right away from the start. And they got him in the second round of the draft last year. Had he come out the year before because he was eligible, he probably could have gotten drafted higher. 
Uh, but then, you know, his playing time got cut when he was over at uh, Barcelona and things like that. But he's somebody who's definitely going to be an impactful player for them and get those minutes. But they have a lot they have a lot of combo forwards or wingmen, if you will, and he's another one of them where he had a big year last year, and they're looking for him to obviously build upon that this season as a sophomore. Karis LeVert's a guy that we've talked about a little bit here. Uh, he's one of my favorite players in the league. Um, who's not on? Who's not on my squad? If I if I could pick a guy from the league, I would love to have in Minnesota. It's Karis LeVert. Um, but after his game in Minnesota last season, I don't know if he wants to come back and play there anytime soon. Uh, Got right, that horrible, yeah. horrible uh, ankle injury last season, and somehow came back um, and looked great. He was he was going to be a very special talent last year for the Mets, and I think they could have yeah. got a higher seed if he was healthy. Um, how did he heal up from that injury coming back? Because that was a nasty injury. Yeah, well, it, you know, it didn't require surgery. It was just, it was just sort of a break, uh, and you know, he was able to come back from that. But it's interesting with him is right before that he had gotten hurt and left halftime of the Warriors game, which is right before the Minnesota game. But if you take out sort of the Minnesota game and the Warriors game where he was injured, he had that. 12-game stretch to start the season of averaging 20 points, four-ish assists, and four-ish rebounds, and he had, you know, game-winning floater at Detroit. He had big moments at home against other teams. Like, he was playing really well. He was the guy before D'Angelo Russell sort of took that later on in the season in uh, January or so, and you started to see D'Angelo Russell sort of become what people have been waiting for out of him. But Karis LeVert is the guy that everyone's sort of looking for to – look, is he going to be able to do what he did early on last year pre-injury for an entire season? And in order to do that, he needs to stay healthy, obviously. He's somebody who had three-foot surgeries in college when he was in Michigan, didn't even make his debut until, you know, well into his rookie year, probably December or so, because he was practicing. He, you know, he didn't play in summer league and things of that nature. And then, you know, he played from there on now. He was good. His second season, 2017-18, he played over 70 games. That's basically a whole season, you know, a couple missed games here, a couple missed games there, but you'll take 70 out of anybody. And then last year he had the, the big injury. So, you know, he has to be able to prove he can play at that level where he was, you know, guarding the other team's best player, scoring 20 points a night, hitting key shots in the fourth quarter. He has to be able to prove that he can do that for a full season while staying healthy. And if he does, he's going to make a lot of money because this is a contract year for him. He's going to be he's already extension eligible. So, you know, we're going to see if if they even do that. But I think the the Nets will probably wait that one out and see if he can prove himself for this entire season because if he does, then that's going to be Kyrie Irving's running mate and that's going to be a big deal to have, especially when Kevin Durant is waiting in the wings for next season. The Nets really have a lot of go-to scorers, especially when it comes to, to crunch time and needing to score immediately. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, has been known to hit big shots, but uh, Karis LeVert has hit him as well, and so has Spencer Dinwiddie. Do you see those three being all in the lineup as the closeout, uh, you know, close-game lineup? And if you do... Are they going to keep DeAndre Jordan or Jared Allen in late, or will that be kind of a uh, kind of a go with it as this guy's having the better game, so we'll go with him kind of thing? What's the what's the crunch time lineup look like for the Nets? Yeah, I think it's going to be more of that. You sort of 
you know, wait and see what happens. But I, look, I'm looking for some lineups, and I we didn't get this last year, but I thought we could have. I'm looking for some lineups at the end of games where you might see something like Kyrie at the one, Dinwiddie at the two, Joe Harris at the three, Karis Levert at the four with, you know, maybe DeAndre Jordan, maybe Jared Allen, whoever's the center. But I think you might see some of that because all four of those guys, it's very hard at the end of games to leave all of them, or I mean one of them, excuse me, one of them off the floor, one of them being uh, Karis, Joe Harris, Dinwiddie, or Kyrie. Just because if they're all playing well enough, those are, those are your guys at that sort of guard forward spot. You know what I mean? So it's going to be hard to leave any one of them off the floor, even if it means playing Karis LeVert as an undersized four in that situation. But, look, if it's working, I think the Nets are willing to try pretty much anything. You know, they like playing small. They've done that. So I think that's something that we can see as well. We can see all four of those guys. But I think there's no question you'll definitely see uh, lineups with Dinwiddie, Kyrie, and Karis LeVert out there together so long as it's working. All right. Uh, Looking at this Nets team, what we have so far this year, without Kevin Durant, um, where do you realistically see them in this season in terms of win total and maybe in position in the playoffs? Because the East is not exactly as strong as the West is, clearly, um, and it's kind of top-heavy. Where do you see this Nets team sneaking into the playoffs? Because I think we can all agree they're definitely a playoff team this year, just like last year. Where do they end up at? How many wins do you see them getting? Well, as of now, and I've obviously thought about this, you know, a pretty good deal just because, you know, free agency happened and half the league moved elsewhere, so you're trying to figure out who's going to go where, and I've done several podcasts about this already. So I'm thinking, for now, I have them pegged at, you know, 48 wins. Um, I feel like that's a that's a pretty good bet. That's a that's a slight improvement from last year. It's a six game improvement from last season, if I'm not mistaken, which would put them at four or five in the East. I still haven't yet determined whether that's four or five because I feel like we're going to see the top sort of bunched up a little bit before it trickles on down. I like Philadelphia. Obviously, I think they're going to be one of the best teams in the East. I think Milwaukee very well could win the East again. I think Boston and Miami are going to be better than people expect. And I still am not sure that Miami isn't going to get another guy to sort of be with Jimmy Butler there, be his running mate. There are rumors about them trying to get Bradley Beal. I'm not sure how they're going to pull that off. Uh, but I do like Miami as a team uh, who can, you know, make some noise in the East and be in that sort of, be in that sort of mix as far as like the four, five, six teams are, if you will. Uh, I mentioned Boston. I like them more than probably other people do. Uh, Indiana is another team that's supposed to make some noise, and Victor Oladipo is going to come back at some point this season. And while I don't expect him to be himself, they had a nice off season. They had Miles Turner uh, is going to come back, and he's going to improve. Sabonis is going to come back, and he's going to improve. And you got, you know, you got Malcolm, Brog- M- Malcolm Brogdon on that team now. So I like I like Indiana as well. So just sort of looking at it, I would put the Nets somewhere in that four or five range without Kevin Durant. And then you would expect that to improve upon his return. I didn't even mention other teams like Detroit and Toronto who were in the playoffs last year, Orlando. So, you know, we're going to see because that East, that East, while it's not going to be as good as the West, is going to be very interesting. And you're probably going to see a lot of teams sort of bunched up from one all the way down to eight. Yeah. Uh, opening win total for Brooklyn, uh, 
was 50 and a half, and then I'm looking here at an update, and they've got them at 43 and a half. Uh, depending mm. on the site you're on, depending on you know who you're who you're looking at. So well, I'm seeing ESPN a lot. 44. Like, yeah, ESPN had them at like 39 or 40 or something like that. It was or something crazy. I'll take I'll take the over on that, please. Uh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I th- I think uh, 48, but you know I wouldn't be surprised if it's something like 45. And, you know, if if Kyrie Irving, if it doesn't work out for whatever reason or the chemistry just doesn't get there, because sometimes, you know, life just happens that way. If they have injuries, like, I can sort of – I can see that, but I would just take my bets on sort of 47, 48 as of now. When I sit down and sort of finalize this next month, then I'll probably have a a different mindset on that. (laughs) Well, last question, and I'll let you go. Uh, um, I want to ask – Who's maybe a player that we haven't really talked about a lot that, you know, of course Kyrie's going to be the leader of this team and there's a lot of great talent, but who's maybe a player that people are sleeping on that, you know, maybe we're not paying attention to that can end up being a huge part of this Nets lineup this coming season? Who's a sleeper that we need to keep our eye on heading into this season for the Nets? I'll probably go with Torian Prince just because, I tend to even forget about him sometimes, and he's he's somebody whose game I really like. You know, I watched him. I remember him when he was even at Baylor, but I watched him a little bit in Atlanta on League Pass and stuff like that. And Torian Prince is somebody who, again, could play the three and the four, and over the last two seasons he shot about 39% from three. And this is someone who was averaging 13, 14 points a game down in Atlanta. Whatever role he has with the Nets, whether it's a six-man, whether it's a starter, whether he's just – one of the big guys or sort of the main guys that come off the bench and plays 22, 24 minutes a night or whatever, he's a good fit for this system. He was actually a Long Island net at one point because he was on assignment from the Atlanta Hawks uh, to be in the G League and stuff like that. So he actually played five games with the Long Island Nets when he was a rookie in the 16-17 season. And like Karis LeVert, because he comes from the same draft, he's in a contract year. So he has incentive to sort of have – a, if not a career year, but just at least a really good year because he also wants to get paid. So he's somebody who's going to be valuable for them because the Nets have really struggled against opposing fours especially, and they've needed a stretch four to sort of be in that lineup. And I think Torian Prince is someone who can play that position. And, you know, he's going to get a good amount of minutes. I think he's somebody that people overlook that he's going to be, he's going to be a solid player for them. He's going to be a solid player. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us here on the show on Wide Man Can't Jump. We really appreciate it. Uh, won't you let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and find you and, uh, you know, get your work uh, during the off season, especially those Nets fans that listen in? Sure. Uh, at Brian Fonseca and Wide is B-R-Y-A-N-F-O-N-S-E-C-A on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, I'm currently in the middle of promoting my own web series side hustle so y'all can check that out it's also on youtube youtube.com slash brian fonseca well brian thanks again for jumping on and talking some nets basketball with us and uh, uh for those of you listening out there you don't know how hard it was for us to nail this down and get a time <laughs> but i'm glad we were able to i'm glad we were finally able to make it work so thanks again brian yeah. i really do appreciate you working with us and getting this down yeah yeah absolutely thanks uh you know i'll come back anytime you just let me know Will do, man. Thank you so much. Yep, no problem.
And that was Brian Fonseca and our conversation about the new, well, no, not the New Jersey Nets anymore, the Brooklyn Nets. I'm flashing back here. But uh, speaking of flashbacks, Tim, have you had a chance to check out some of the stuff that our good friends over at Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC is throwing out there lately? I'm I'm embarrassed to say, Nate, that I see those posts and I salivate like Pavlov's dog. Oh, they've got... They've got all kinds of, of posters. If you're a movie poster kind of person, they've got The Haunting, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, Poltergeist 2, Cars, my personal favorite, Spaceballs. Uh, Spaceballs. House of the Dead, RoboCop 3, Chipmunk Adventure, Godzilla, so much more. They've also got uh, some action figures, the Star Wars Solo um Hasbro Range Trooper figures, and also the DC Multiverse. They're normally $20 each. They have them for 15 Shazam from uh, Mattel. So go check those out. Head on over Atomic Comics to Collectibles, LLC. I wonder if they have uh, any Spider-Man Marvel things now that I, I see that uh, Better hold Marvel on. If you do, you better yeah, get it now. <laughs> that's why I, sort of, yeah, I was bringing it up, because that might be a hot... Uh, ticket. Well, the only way to find out is to hit them up. You go over to facebook.com slash Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC. Hit them up. They'll let you know what they've got, and you can buy from them. Great people, great prices. You're getting steals, all kinds of deals over there. Go check them out. Let's hear some more. If you're into comic books and collectibles, then you are going to want to check out Atomic Comics and Collectibles LLC. They buy and sell comic books, action figures, pop funkos, vintage video game systems, vinyl records, and other collectibles. Retro and vintage collectibles are their specialty. They have fair and competitive pricing on all their items. Their prices will make you say, Oh my God! Currently, they run on Facebook, and they're in the process of getting their own storefront in Logan, West Virginia. Give their Facebook page a like and keep updated on new merchandise and announcements for Comic-Cons and store opening in your area. They do ship, but only within the United States at this time. Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC, where yesterday's memories are today's future. If you are looking for anything comic book or collectible-wise, you are going to want to do one thing. Assemble. And head over to Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. Check out their Facebook page, Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Atomic Comics and Collectibles, LLC. Among our other great sponsors, Stephen P. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com, stripcamfund.com, and Stay Classy Meets at stayclassymeets.com. All right, Tim, before we go to our final interview, let's go ahead and bring back one of our our all-time favorite segments here. I want you to pick a year and give me a number. Oh, man, all the pressure. I feel like I'm under pressure. Absolutely. Um, 1994. Okay. 94. And let's go with the, I don't know, I think I'm going to say, let's go with the eighth pick. Eighth pick. The 1994 NBA draft, the eighth pick of that draft was Brian Grant out of Xavier. Yeah. Uh, let's, <laughs> yeah. The Sacramento Kings <laughs> with that selection. Uh, let's go ahead and take a look at Brian Grant here. He yeah, is a retired American basketball player. 
He was a first-team All-Rookie in 94-95. Let's see here. He played for Sacramento. Ended up in Portland. Uh, Miami. Ended up for Los Angeles and Phoenix as well. And does some charity work. Let's go ahead and look at some of the numbers for Brian Grant. So, uh, let's go ahead and check this out here as we do our little grass too great a career. Uh, certainly did not live up to his college. I mean, over over ten career. years in the league. I mean, you can't really knock that. No, uh, I mean, ten years is ten six, years. Nine two hundred fifty four pounds. Uh, played all four years at Xavier. Uh, his first year, he averaged thirteen point two points per game to go with seven and a half rebounds. The next year, he had one of the best scoring years of his career, 14 and 14.4 with seven rebounds. little slump after that, 10 points per game with 5.9 rebounds, but then really picked it up as the years went on, 12.1 and 11.5 points the next two years. A big slump in 99 and 2000. Uh, only played, he played 63 games. Uh, looks like he had some injuries uh, there yeah. that really helped. He has one uh, big claim to fame, Nate. What's that? Uh, he was part of the trade from uh, Miami to L.A. for Shaquille O'Neal. Well, there you go. That's a big deal there. Uh, averaged 15.2 points per game with eight rebounds in 2000. And probably the best year of his career, the double-double year, 10.3 points per game to go with 10.2 rebounds. Uh, and that was in 2002-2003. He averaged a double-double while playing in Miami. So, not a terrible career. Not the best oh, yeah. career, though. Going eighth I know, overall. I know one thing. Uh, his, injury could, his injuries couldn't have had anything to do with his hips because the man has seven children. <laughs> well, you know, some people have hobbies, and uh, you Ooh. know how that goes. Five, uh, five, boy, five boys and two daughters. Now, not much I of a three-point shooter. I love kids. But seven, <laughs> my, my word. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot of kids. Uh, hey, but, you know, that's, but, a, that's a starting rotation on the bench too. Well, I'd say this: he ten years in his career. His in two thousand three, two thousand four, he was still playing thirty minutes per game. So that's not too shabby. Oh four, oh five, and oh five, oh six. The last two years, oh, one in L.A. and one in Portland, he kind of uh, kind of slipped a little there, and he that was the final year. He had Parkinson's, or has Parkinson's. Oh, really? That, I didn't know that. He was diagnosed with yeah. Parkinson's in 2005. Maybe that was part of his... Cause if that he was could explain that 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 Yeah, explain. I mean, okay, that's a whole new, you know, that's a whole different yeah. ball of wax there if he was dealing with that from for years. Well, that... And didn't know, and didn't know it. That's, yeah, that's that's a, oh, very unfortunate for him because uh, I know we don't wish that on anybody. But uh, but he's also got the Brian Grant Foundation, um, and on his on his Twitter, if you go follow follow him on Twitter, B W Grant, his hashtag on his Twitter, shake it till we make it, twenty eighteen. So he's got a very <laughs> that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll give him that. He got so, to hang uh, out Brian, with uh, Muhammad Ali, so that's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Brian Grant, that's been our draft pick flashback. 
for this week, and we're happy to bring that segment back. I hadn't got to do one of those in a while, so we're glad that we were able to do that and for you this week. Yeah, that would have been a name I, if I you know, just would have said Brian Grant, I think I might have went, who? Yeah, yeah honestly, yeah. me too. Yeah. Uh, the name didn't ring a bell, but uh, we learned something uh-huh. this week. Sweet. But I also learned a lot from Chris Iceman from NorthJersey.com, USA Today, and the record. He's going to stop in and update us on the Knicks. Let's go to my conversation with him right now. Well, joining us on the show right now for the first time ever, covering the New York Knicks and an NBA writer for the record and NewJersey.com, he's a Syracuse grad, so all you former Big East fans can boo him if you want. And he's also at USA Today Network. Chris Eisman. Chris, thanks you for jumping on the show to talk a little New York Knicks. Of course. Thanks for having me. Well, before we talk Knicks, can we talk about the Big East and how much I miss it? Uh, there was nothing like <laughs> there was nothing like the Big East tournament at the Garden when it came to uh, uh, tournament time when they did the conference championship tournaments. Oh, it was magical moments in, oh, in the Big it was East. Fantastic. It was Being fantastic. from West Virginia, the last that was real. The, oh yeah, yeah. So I'm from West Virginia, so I remember remember a lot of those a lot of those years in the Big East, and of course, who can forget? You know, the six overtime game. Uh, that yeah. happened was UConn, Syracuse, and uh, Kimball Walker having the tournament run he had. Can we bring yeah. that back? This is a plea for Nate, the universe. <laughs> Please bring that back. I wish. Yeah. I wish. Believe me. I covered the last real Big East tournament at the Garden, and Syracuse and Georgetown in the semifinals went to overtime. Fantastic game. Oh. Um, it was like you didn't want to let it go. You know, you didn't want that to become yeah. part of history. And, um yeah, it's, it's. I do miss those days. There's no question about that. But the Big East is not, you know, what it used to be. But the ACC is, you know, an exciting conference. But it'll never be what, uh, you know, what we once had watching that that conference. Yeah, we really won't. That's a shame. But I'll tell you what's not a shame is how busy the Knicks were this off season. And a lot of people are looking at the Knicks saying, oh well, you know, same old Knicks. They're not going to be that good this year. They missed out on Kevin Durant. They're calling this off season a loss, but. If you actually look at it, the Knicks have set themselves up to make a huge run in a couple of years by signing nearly all of these off-season talents that they signed to two-year contracts other than Julius Randle. What do you think about the Knicks possibly setting themselves up for success in a couple of years? Well, yeah, I mean, look, this is this season is going to be all about, you know, continuing to develop their young core, which includes Mitchell Robinson and now includes R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox. Um, and Dennis Smith Jr., obviously. Um, and then you have these guys that they signed, as you said, to short-term contracts to kind of see how they fit. And also, you know, they want to win this year. They want to be a more competitive team than they were last year. So they're hoping to take some steps forward this year um, and continue to kind of build something toward toward the future where they can actually be a legitimate threat in the coming years. Um, and I think that they have a real chance of doing that. Uh, this season, obviously, it, it's not going to be what a lot of Knicks fans were hoping for when, you know, they were in the mix, you know, before free agency for Durant and Kyrie Irving. Um, but, you know, this is still, if fans continue to look at this as a, as a continuation of the rebuilding process and, you know, understand that there's going to be some more patience required, which I understand is difficult for a lot of fans considering the Knicks haven't been good for the last, you know, better part of the last 20 years. But, 
they're, they're taken they they're in the position to continue to take steps and i think that at this point in time that's all that that you know Knicks fans can hope from this team yeah and you brought up mitchell robinson and uh this is a show um that loves mitchell robinson and that's the truth we are big mitchell robinson supporters my one of my co-hosts tr he is a he's a philly philly native 76ers fan but he is a huge Mitchell Robinson supporter. But, yeah, we're, we're big Mitchell Robinson fans here at the show, and uh, we think he has a very high ceiling and can really – and he's going to end up being, I think, the steal of the draft uh, that he was in because he is such a talent and he's such a shot blocker, a rim protector. And when he develops that post game even more with his footwork and his ability to space, he's going to be a talent. Um what do you expect to see from Mitchell Robinson as we approach this upcoming season? Uh, I, yeah, I think he was certainly a huge surprise, um, you know, during his rookie year. I don't think anybody, you know, no, and nobody really knew much about him coming out of the draft. Um, and certainly nobody really knew what to expect. I mean, there was talk last training camp about him possibly playing some time in the G League um, as he continues to develop. But obviously that never happened, and understandably so. Um, he was a big surprise, and this year it's going to be all about that continuation. Is he going to continue to? You know, I think the the one thing that he really needs to do, and he understands this, and the Knicks understand this, is that they want to develop his offensive game. They want to develop an outside shot, uh, which he has. He did he did shoot threes in high school, um, so it's not a, a completely foreign concept to him. But he does need to diver- diversify his offensive game uh, to be a better fit in the modern NBA. Um, you know, and I, and I think that. The Knicks last season, because of his inexperience and because of if he, you know, didn't play college basketball, they were very, very careful about bringing him along. Uh, they wanted to make sure that they didn't overload him with information. So they kind of just threw things at him uh, one at a time. And they didn't want him – and they wanted him to uh, excel at the areas that, you know, he was already kind of good at. Now, he would kind of um, continue to, to excel at in the NBA, which is really the shot blocking. Um, and then, you know, the athleticism around the rim, the, the slam dunks and things like that. Uh, so they wanted him to kind of continue to work on that, just get comfortable in the NBA before throwing too much at him. And I think that this offseason is a big one for him to continue to develop that, that that offensive game, work on his jump shot. We'll see what, you know, I, I was expecting to see more of that in the summer league, but he hadn't gotten to that point yet. Uh, we'll see what happens during, you know, this preseason and then into the season. And then also becoming a better defensive player, too. Um, I think a lot of people equate shot blocking with, you know, being a good defensive player. And that's not always the case. He, he needs to get better at just kind of knowing where to be at times and, and he continue to get better as a defensive player. But um, given the fact that he was so young, he was so, you know, inexperienced uh, last year, I think that the ceiling is really, really high for him. So I think that this year, his sophomore season is going to be your time for him to take a lot of steps. And, and it'll be interesting to see how kind of, you know, he continues to develop. Yeah, and that's that's a key there. Shot blocking doesn't necessarily mean that you're a good defensive player because you see that just means you're good at timing uh, your jump. Right. To me, that's not good defense. That's not lockdown pressure defense, and and people need to realize that. But there's a lot of names that came in this off season for the Knicks, and, and there's really too many to talk about in a lot of time here. But we're gonna hit some of the highlights here. Julius Randle. Uh, was the biggest addition to the Knicks, and he got a three-year deal, not a two-year deal with the Knicks. Um, Are the Knicks looking at Julius Randle being a piece of their future going forward? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, they, they needed a, uh, a power forward. That was a spot on the roster that really um, they needed to, to fill uh, going into the free agency, and they did that with him. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, they signed to a three-year deal for a reason, uh, $63 million. They believe that he's a guy that can really make them better. Um, and if you look at his career, he's a really good piece. I mean, he's continued to develop his outside shot. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, they're hoping that they can throw him out there with Mitchell Robinson and, and form a, a really formidable front court. Um, and then see what happens, you know, as time goes on and see how those two develop. But uh, I think he's going to be a really solid piece for them. I think that, you know, him and, and Robinson are the two guys that you can kind of uh, write into the starting lineup right away, you know, with pen and not necessarily with pencil. Uh, I think that they're the two guys that are most likely uh, to start. Um, but, yeah, he's a, he was, you know – a, a solid fallback option uh, given the way that free agency went for them. Well, and they brought in some veteran presence in Taj Gibson as well. Um, and Taj is still a good con- a contributor. I'm a Minnesota fan, so I really liked having him mm-hmm. whenever he was uh, there with the Wolves. He moves on, and he's found a home in New York. Um, do you see Taj getting a whole lot of minutes? I know if you look at the athletic, they're looking at Taj uh, playing about 10 minutes a game, maybe late in the first into the, the third and uh, some early in the fourth. Do you see him being a big contributor? Is he going to be there more as a mentor? I think a lot of this is going to be a mentor uh, role, um, but I think he'll play. You know, I, I certainly think, you know, David Fisdale places a big premium on, on having sort of veteran guys who can help develop the young guys and, and Fisdale and the Knicks run office too. And that was something I know going into the offseason, that that's what they wanted. They wanted to bring in veterans who could continue to develop the young guys, like a Mitchell Robinson. Um, and Taj Gibson really kind of fits that mold. Um, I think that he will see some time. I, you know, it, it remains to be seen. You know, we haven't really heard from David Fisdale since the end of the season, so uh, we don't really know how he exactly, you know, how exactly he plans on using his new pieces. I, so I think Taj Gibson will see time. Um, but I think certainly the Knicks are going to place a big premium in, on his kind of ability to help bring the young guys along and, and, and mentor guys like Mitchell Robinson. I think one of the sneakiest signings that the uh, Knicks got this offseason, though, was Reggie Bullock. Um, not mm-hmm. a lot of people talking about that, and I thought that was a nice signing for them. Uh, he's pegged right now according, of course, if you go by what I read here on um, The Athletic, you don't even see his name really mentioned that much. I but I thought Bullock was a, a solid offseason grab there. Do you see him coming in and playing uh, for the Knicks, or is this just going to be kind of a maybe a trade bait or something like that? Because I'm not seeing him listed. Well, he he's injured, so he's going to miss some time at the start of the season. Um, so right now, you know, he's not being kind of included in the mix of. Um, some of the other guys that they brought in in terms of who could make an immediate impact because he's going to need some time. He could miss, you know, a month at the start of the season. Um, but certainly, you know, he has the potential to help them when he does come back. Um, it just remains to be seen exactly how long he's going to miss. Yeah, and I think that'll be a key. I actually had no clue he was injured, so we learned something today. Um, but, yeah, I think he's going to be a piece that they'll use, and they'll use well. Uh, he's a good signing for sure, at least if you ask me. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. is still there at the guard spot, but Alfred Payton was brought in as well in the offseason. Now, this is a guy who can do just about anything except shoot. So that's become kind of an issue, and he and guards like Ricky Rubio are great passers, but, man, can they not shoot. Um, Is he just going to be used primarily as a backup to Dennis Smith Jr. 
and until Bullock comes back, or are we looking at him probably for most of the season getting solid minutes? Well, the He's going to get the chance to compete for that starting job. You know, I think the Knicks are looking to see what Dennis Smith Jr. brings in the preseason. He's continued to work on his shot, um, which he needs to get better, uh, especially from long distance and the perimeter. Um, but Alfred Payton's going to get the chance to, to, you know, compete for that job. And, and I wouldn't necessarily write in either one um, as a starter. I, I think maybe I would be leaning towards Dennis Smith Jr. winning that, that starting role. Obviously, they brought him in in the uh, from the Mavericks in that Chris Stapps Porzingis trade, and uh, I think they want to give him every chance to succeed. They obviously talked a lot about him when they got him as the kind of the young piece of that trade, um, the young player on the rookie contract, the young talent who can kind of help them into the future. So I think they need to see what he can give them, um, and obviously he's got great athleticism that they like. Um, but Alfred Payton will get the chance to compete for that spot. Scott Perry knows him very well. Uh, having been part of that Magic's front office, uh, you know, in the years before coming to the Knicks. So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that Alfred Payton right now is is destined for the bench, uh, but we'll see what happens in preseason. Yeah. Um, And, you know, Dennis Smith, I I thought it was funny because Dennis Smith seemed like the guy that the Knicks should have drafted, Uh, but they took Frank Nidicolina, who's still a Nick, somehow. He's still in the league, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not big. I am not big on this guy at all. Uh, nothing against him or his family. I'm sure he's a great man. Uses his left and right turn indicators, but uh, man, I really don't like his game at all. I don't. I don't get the hype. I never did. Uh, a guy who was in France and was averaging like six points a game, and people were expecting greatness from him, and I'm like, I didn't see it. Uh, how's he still a Nick? How's he still on the roster? Uh, that That's a, a legitimate question because I don't see it. Well, listen, Leslie, you know, his freshman year, obviously, it was a disappointing one, um, you know, considering, you know, the lack of uh, three-point shooting. And he was, a, he was a really, really good defensive player. He didn't show a ton of aggressive going to the rim, um, which is something that he needs to continue to work on. And then you have last year, which was, you know, a, a in a lot of ways, a complete wash. I mean, he was between injuries and just ineffectiveness. He was limited to fewer than 40 games. Um, he was benched for three games at one point in the season as Fisdale kind of tried to give him a chance to just get a, get, you know, kind of get a breather and, and reassess things. Um, but the season just overall was a disappointment, and that really hurt his trade value. Um, you know, I think if the Knicks could have gotten a, a good second-round pick for him in the weeks before the draft, I think they would have made a move. But that didn't happen. And so now going forward, you know, this upcoming season is is going to be one that they can kind of see, you know, what do they have in this kid? Is he somebody that can actually help them? Um, or was it, is it just going to continue to be more disappointment? Um, but they need to continue to develop that, that trade value um, for him. It'll be interesting to see how David Fisdale finds him minutes, given the way, you know, given some of the additions that they made and some of the guys that they already have on this roster. But, you know, look, I, I think that he, Frank Nilakina would have been a really solid piece if, they had really struck big in free agency. You bring in some stars. I thought that all along he could have been a really good complementary type of player, kind of a guy that you bring off the bench, give you some defense, um, and can kind of just he's, – he's a very good pass-first point guard. He can kind of hold things together and keep the offense organized, and I think that he would have been a really solid piece in that type of role. But given the way that free agency went, I'm not quite sure how he's going to fit in this team. And so that's something that David Fisdale is obviously going to have to try and figure out, uh, you know, this coming season. Nick's kind of caught a lot of flack on social media for 
all the additions of all the forwards. You look at Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson. They still they bring in Julius Randle. They draft R.J. Barrett. Kevin Knox is still there. And really, you can play a couple of these guys at the three and the four, but you know Marcus Morris is there too. Why do you think they went so forward heavy? Was it just they were from the lack of having forwards in the past? Because you said power forward was really weak position for them, but. I'm looking at all these forwards on the team now. You got maybe seven guys for two spots on the court at the same time. What's your thoughts on all the power forwards and small forward additions? Yeah, I mean, look, they definitely did bring in a lot of forwards. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, you know, you throw away, you know, you move aside Alfred Payton, uh, a guy like Wayne Ellington, and then you look at who they else they brought in. Um, you know, these guys like Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson, I think that they all fill certain roles. I think that they can use – you know, Bobby Portis between the four and the five with Taj Gibson between power forward and center. Marcus Morris, I think, is, you know, obviously is a three, you know, and a four. Um, I, I think that the, the whole thing about the Knicks overloading on power forwards was slightly overblown, given the way that some of these guys are not necessarily having to play power forward. Um, but that was a position of need. Uh, <laughs> they, they certainly filled it. Um, no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, um, boy, they but did I, fill it. I, I think, and then some. Yeah, they did fill it. Yeah, they certainly did. They they gave themselves some options, um, and they needed shooting. And I think that they found that with some of these guys. Um, but yeah, they they certainly did load up on forwards. It was a bit surprising, um, given that they brought in that many. But I, I think that this does give them more options and more flexibility and more depth than maybe some people realized in the immediate kind of aftermath, if you will, of free agency. So I don't think it's as much over. I I don't. I don't fault them for bringing in as many power forwards as some people did. I, I think that this actually will give them some options. I'll say that. It gives, yeah, it gives them a lot of options, actually. And for a lot of these forwards, this could be looked at as an, an audition because you assume that the Knicks are setting themselves up for the future. And most of these guys are on two-year contracts, minus, you know, like R.J. Barrett and guys like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, some of these guys could eventually be on this Knicks team whenever they do go out and go after those big-time free agents. So. Maybe that's one way to look yeah, at it. Absolutely. As well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. They, they're all completing oh, new, new deals. And then, you know, they could also use these guys uh, as trade bait, you know, at, at the trade deadline of the season because of those short term contracts. So it gives them some flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people are giving the Knicks grief. I, I even said on this show, don't sleep on the Knicks because what they're doing now is setting themselves up. They've set a foundation here, and they're going to rebuild, and they're going to rebuild nicely. This is not them just signing people to sign them. There's a plan in place here. So uh, I think if you're a Knicks fan, within the next few years, you've got a you've got a really good chance because missing out on Durant and Kyrie is one thing, but you've got a chance in a few years to really make an impact. Um, R.J. Barrett is a, a nice rookie that came out of Duke. A lot of people are touting him highly. Some people are even saying he was the best player in the draft. Now, I'm not going to go that far, but I I think Barrett, a lot of people think he's one of the more NBA-ready players right now. And the Knicks take him at three, which was, of course, it was a great pick in my opinion. And even if he doesn't pan out, it's a great pick still. Um, R.J. Barrett, what do you like about his game? What do you think he brings to the Knicks? And will he start right off, or will he – Maybe not start, but will he be a member of that Knicks crunch time unit um, that they're going to be using late in games? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think that remains to be seen. I, not to kind of, you know, uh, have a cop-out answer, but I'm not, you know, it, 
I'm not totally sure what he's going to be yet. Um, obviously, in summer league, he struggled a bit. I, I think that, you know, summer league was a unique experience for him, I think, because there was so much pressure and so much attention to being paid on what he was doing. Um, given the way that things went in free agency, missing out on Duran and Irving, and I, I hate to keep going back to that, but that kind of altered the way that the offseason went for them so much. But when they missed out on those guys, it became, okay, now R.J. Barrett really has to deliver, and he has to be the guy that Knicks fans can be feel hopeful in. And so there was a lot of attention, a lot of scrutiny being paid on him. The first game was against Zion Williamson, and it was a crazy atmosphere out in Las Vegas for that first summer league contest. So I think that it was almost unfair in some ways the way things went for him. Uh, and he struggled, but towards the end, he started to show some good things. Look, I think he's a really creative offensive player. I think he's very talented on that end of the floor. Um, he needs to continue to work on his shot, and I think he will continue to do so, and the Knicks are hopeful that he will. Um, and then, you know, his defense needs to get better. But I, I think at the end of the day, you know, going into that draft, there were three guys who were separating themselves, and it was Jean Morant, R.J. Barrett, and obviously Zion Williamson. Those were the top three guys in the draft. The Knicks got the top three pick, and they took R.J. Barrett, and it was a good pick. It just it remains to be seen how exactly he develops as an NBA player. I certainly think he has a lot of potential. I think Knicks fans should be optimistic and not place too much uh, emphasis on the uh, summer league struggles that he showed. Uh, he's a smart kid. He's not going to get rattled by New York. He's got a very, very good persona for the city. So I think that, uh, you know, they should feel confident with him, and, and he's going to be a major part of that Knicks young core going into the future. Um, I'm looking here at another young player who the Knicks have. Maybe, I don't know if the bloom is off the rose yet, I, or the Knicks still want to compete, and I think they want him a part of it, but there were some trade rumors. Don't know if that's going to hurt. And he from the looks of things, probably not going to be a starter this year, and that's Kevin Knox. Um, what's your thoughts with Kevin Knox? Have, are the Knicks kind of looking at him as this is the year where you, you know, prove yourself or you're gone or we start shopping you? Um, are they kind of putting Kevin Knox on the hot seat this season? I wouldn't say that at this point. Um, listen, I, I think that they're still high on Kevin Knox for good reason. I think that he showed a lot of good things this year, despite some of the struggles that he also showed. You know, I, I think that he also, you know, we also have to keep into consideration that he was 19 years old last year. Um, he was one of the youngest players in the NBA. He was playing more minutes than he ever had, you know, certainly more than he ever had in Kentucky. Um, so, you know, looking at that, I mean, there, there are certainly things that he needs to work on. He needs to become a more efficient player. Um, but I, I think the one thing that really stood out was that there was nobody to absorb his inefficiencies or his deficiencies, I guess you could say. There was no one to kind of hide him. The Knicks didn't have a lot of veterans who could kind of pick up the slack for his struggles. They had to throw him out there every night for, you know, 35-plus minutes in game. And he had to be a focal point of that offense. And that's a lot to ask from a 19-year-old kid. And he was hoisting up a lot of shots, for better or worse. They keep t kept telling him to shoot. And he needs to get better with his shot selection. He certainly needs to get better defensively. Um, but I think that he showed more good things than a lot of people saw. Um, and I think last year was a big learning experience for him. And, and certainly, you know, he needs to get, that, get stronger. Um, because going to the rim, he struggled with absorbing contact and finishing at the rim um, against some of the, you know, the bigger bodies that he was going up against on a daily basis. Um, 
I wouldn't say that necessarily they're they're putting him on the hot seat or they're down on him. I actually think that they're very optimistic about what he can do moving into the future. Uh, but certainly, you know, this upcoming season is going to be a big one for him. Um, coach Fizz has been known as kind of a player's coach, uh, and that's maybe something the Knicks have missed for the past few years. They bring him in. Um, he's a he's a great coach, but people like playing for him. Um, and with that being said, do you think that that may be part of the reason that Marcus Morris changed his mind on going to the Spurs and instead ended up in New York, or is there another story there that we're missing out on? You know, it's a good question. We haven't really heard from him too much either uh, since that signing. We won't probably until training camp um, to get his exact, you know, to get a better uh, idea of, you know, what he was feeling in that situation. Um, you know, I, I certainly think it, it couldn't have hurt them or it couldn't have hurt that chance that, or that, uh, you know, their chance of signing him. Um, but, yeah, certainly players do like playing for him. Um, he has made himself a guy that players really trust. Um, and enjoy playing for. Um, whether or not, you know, that factored heavily into Marcus Morris' decision, like I said, we, you know, we really don't know at this point. Um, but certainly players do enjoy playing for, for David Fisdale. Um, I think that, you know, he, I think last year was a big learning experience for him too, because he's still a young coach. And I think he did learn a lot of things about kind of how to handle this team. I think it was a tough situation for him at times, but um, you know, certainly having David Fisdale there couldn't have hurt their chances in, in landing a guy like Marcus Morris. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just a couple more things here, and I'll let you go, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. First things first, looking at this Knicks team, looking at what they've built and looking at the Eastern Conference, the prediction, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go ahead and throw it out there at you. Knicks, playoffs, do you think it'll happen or not? And another question is here, I'm uh, looking here at the win total that the Knicks are projected. The New York Knicks are 37 and a half wins projected over under that. What do you think? Um, I'm going to say no to the playoffs. I don't anticipate that happening this year. I still think that they're a couple of years away from that happening. Um, and I'll take the under on the wins total. I think they're going to be closer to about a 29 win team. Um, I think that just given the work, where they are on their trajectory, I don't see them hitting that 37 mark uh, quite yet. I think it's going to take some time, um, but obviously they're trying to rebound from the 17-65 season. So, you know, if, if they get to 29 wins, that, that would be about where I would expect them to be. Okay. And my last question for you, we've talked about a lot of pieces on this Knicks team. We didn't even get to talk about the, t- the pieces that left, like DeAndre Jordan, like Luke Cornett, Noah Vonley, guys like that. But looking at this team now with all the pieces they have, with all the players, and there's a lot of rotation players here that could really get some time. Of all the players, let's go ahead and throw Julius Randle out and let's throw Kevin Knox out because I think those guys, we kind of know what they can do. And Mitchell Robinson because he's a sleeper. Who's another player that we should really keep an eye on that maybe nobody's talking about, maybe kind of a sleeper pick for the Knicks this year to really come in and make some impact on this Knicks team? Um, good question. I, honestly, at this point, I think that this is going to be a huge year um, for Dennis Smith Jr. to prove himself. 
I, I think that he really needs to show that he was worthy of that ninth pick a couple of years ago. Um, obviously, things kind of soured in Dallas. The Knicks are hoping that he can live up to the expectations that they had for him coming in. Um, and I think that this is a big year for him. And I think that if he can be the player that the Knicks are hoping he can be, uh, that's going to change a lot for this team. So I, I, I would say that right now, you know, to answer your question, I would say that, that a lot is going to revolve around uh, Dennis Smith Jr. this year. Well, all right. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here on Wide Men Can't Jump, the number one basketball podcast in Uganda. We thank you so much for joining us here. Uh, we, don't you let our listeners know where they can keep up with you and find you at on social media and find your writings as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Eisman um, and at NorthJersey.com. Uh, all our Knicks coverage is posted there every day. So, you know, follow along in what should be an interesting season. Well, thanks again, Chris. I really appreciate your time. I hope to have you back, and we'll talk more Knicks uh, as the season gets closer as well. So thank you so much. For sure. Thanks so much for having me. And that was my conversation with Chris Eisman from NorthJersey.com, USA Today, and The Record. And that was some Knicks coverage, and that has been our show. It's our 93rd episode, all about the teams in New York. Again, we're back on iTunes. iTunes problem officially fixed. Search Wide Men Can't Jump. You'll find us. It's on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Go check it out. We're on Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio, anywhere you find podcasts, and over at WideMenCan'tJump.com. We dropped the Patreon show the other day with Wolfie D., Patreon.com slash WideMenCan'tJump. Go check it out. That show has gotten a lot of love from some listeners, and uh, it was actually up. You could listen to it the other day for free, but no longer. You must become a Patreon now, and that was due to some planning there. We wanted everybody to uh, maybe get a chance to listen to it. Oh, we should have went with administrative error. <laughs> well, it could have been administrative error. You never know. Maybe we planned it. Maybe we didn't. We don't know. Things happen. But uh, follow us at Wide Jump, and follow me at MMITM Nathan on Twitter. Follow Tim at Tallman68. Check it out. Uh, we still got the Wide Men Can't Jump Facebook group, which is normally pretty active, but right now, downtime of the season, a little slow. But there was some MMA talk going the other day. Uh, we got some good wrestling updates on there sometimes. Um, yeah, we've got. Uh... Want to thank everybody following us uh last week's show in case you didn't know last week's show was the most downloaded and most listened to show in the history of our podcast so thank you all we uh we're being heard now in over 50 countries almost all the continental united states six continents they're all listening to wide men can't jump thank you guys so much um antarctica we're coming for you bitches get your penguins ready so we thank you guys again Thank you so much for starving for sports Saturday college football. It's only two games on Saturday, but at least it's something. I'll take it. Well, it's a pretty good game too. Uh, Miami up against uh, in Florida to play Florida. That's a, that should be a pretty good game. And uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, there should be, a little Sunday night roundtable this Sunday night, if all goes according to plan. Ooh, so we're hoping. So, 
one, one, one hopes and uh, we'll play by ear there. We're aiming. Uh, We're going to shoot for yeah. it. So, yeah, definitely check that out and uh, show our sponsors some love. New Law Office at newlawoffice.com, stripcamfund.com, Atomic Comics Collectibles LLC, and Stay Classy Meets. Use promo code WIDEMEN to save 10% and get a free pound of Montana grass fed ground beef. Thanks to everybody for listening. Check out Horseburner's new album called The Thieves. It's up on anywhere you can find songs, music, anything. Check them out. They provide our intro song. So check them out. Thanks again to the guys from Horseburner. Anything you want to add, Tim, before we get out of here? Yeah, I got one more thing. Uh, I have to do this. Um, It's required by law by the uh, American uh, Telecommunications Act of uh, 1966. Um, We have to make a quarterly report. Uh, it'll be quick. Um, present and accounted for uh, two. Uh, MIA one for a total of three. There you go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, so we'll be back next week with more Wide Men Can't Jump. Look for the Sunday Night Roundtable and uh, show some love to all of our great friends and sponsors out there. If you haven't listened, go check out Bell to Bell with Bobby Blaze. They're a great podcast. Hey, check out in this ring. I wonder if Bobby, do you think Bobby survived his Wonder Bar? I don't want to be rude. I don't know. I'll shoot him a text and ask him. Uh, I did warn him that shit's like cocaine, so I did warn him. I want to try one myself, so you're going to have to send me one. Uh, Check out, if you're a wrestling fan of the modern day product, check out the In This Ring podcast with Tim Heaney and Joe Pisapia. Check those guys out. They're awesome. Uh, They do great stuff over there. Take a listen to it. It'll update you on everything modern pro wrestling. And uh, thanks to our guests tonight. Thanks to everyone for listening, uh, except Frank. Fuck you, Frank. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. You remember what happened the last time you pissed Frank off? That's true. Have you, have well, you forgotten? Uh, like, I, I remember the I, last I, time somebody. The last time somebody pissed Frank off, they got a present from him in the mail, and you know what it was? My coat of many colors. <laughs> oh God, that poor bastard. Anyway, <laughs> thanks again for listening, everybody. Night, everybody have a good. <laughs> I ain't even gotta say it. That's just something they know. Thanks for listening to the Wide Men Radio Network, located at BlogTalkRadio.com and at WideMenCan'tJump.com. Be sure to check out our blogs over at WideMenCan'tJump.com, and also be sure to check out all the other shows that we put out. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, Google Play, FM Flash, iHeartRadio. And anywhere you find your favorite podcast, also at WideBeanCanChum.com. Visit our store and buy some new t-shirts. They're available now in all sizes. This show is brought to you by the law offices of Stephen P. New at NewLawOffice.com and by Cambay.com. Be sure to visit Cambay.com and use promo code WIDEBEAN to get 20 free credits on your purchase. Thanks for listening again, and we'll see you next time for the next episode on the Wide Man Radio Network. Thanks for listening, everybody.